would ask you brothers and sisters to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to our text which comes from the book of Revelation as we will be looking at chapter 16 and verses 1 to 11 this morning. Revelation chapter 16 and verses 1 to 11. Revelation chapter 16 and verses 1 to 11. Please, brothers and sisters, hear with me then the reading of God's Word. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought about these judgments. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom, and it was plunged into darkness. And people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Well, brothers and sisters, it is kind of ironic when we think about where our society is today. Uh, we live in a society that, that loves to pounce on someone at the first mistake or slip of the tongue that they make. And now with social media, how it is, it's easy to get hordes of people behind you to become equally as outraged over something very insignificant or benign. We see this most evidently in the, in the Twitter, Twitter sphere that are in the online blogs where they call for people's jobs and they want people's livelihoods to be done away with the moment that they say something that someone out there in the world finds mildly offensive. And yet the mob's goal in all of this is not to get some sort of private apology but rather, it's to, it's to draw you up before the whole world and to cause you to, to, to grovel before them and repent and to apologize. But even then, that's not enough. They want you now to come and, and serve their cause to demonstrate that you're truly sorry and become an ally with whatever group it is that you have offended. And yet, brothers and sisters, many of those same folks find the idea that mankind has offended Almighty God and are being called to repentance and faith in Christ, and without it will result in punishment, they find that message revolting. Right? That is the, the hypocritical nation in which we find ourselves living in. Right? Another example of the hypocritical nature of our society is how we think about justice and how we want justice dealt. Right? We want justice when someone wrongs us or our family members, don't we? But what about God's justice? Right? If someone were to kill a family member of one of us, we would, we would want justice, wouldn't we? Right? When have you ever heard someone walk into the courtroom and when it's time for the, the family to give their statements at sentencing, when have you ever heard someone say, Judge, I would ask that you do not send this person to jail who has just murdered my family member. He's a, he's a good person at, at, at heart. At his core, and I, I don't believe he should suffer that penalty. You ought to let him go. When do you ever hear that? Never. You never hear that. 
Right? People want justice. In fact, what you oftentimes hear is when a loved one is killed and the, and the perpetrator of that crime is sentenced to life in prison instead of death, what does the family then say? Justice wasn't done, was it, they'll say. He shouldn't be able to breathe any longer. We'll never see our family member again. They ought to have been put to death. They took a life. Their life ought to likewise be taken. Right? They wanted justice. They want justice to the furthest degree. And yet, brothers and sisters, many of these folks are the same people who when they are told that they have committed crimes against Almighty God worthy of death, and that unless they repent of their sin and believe in the Son, that they will suffer eternal penalty for sin, who then will charge God with injustice. Why is our getting justice good and right and something that should be pursued, but God getting justice is something that He should just overlook? Right? The reason, though, why people think this way is because fallen humanity is morally defective. Right? Fallen humanity is morally defective, which is why we despise the wrath and the judgments of God. Right? We like retributive justice when it comes to dealing with things that we see evil in the world. But we don't like God's retributive justice for that which He sees as evil. But that's because, brothers and sisters, as fallen humanity, we do not have a perfect revulsion of sin as God does. Right? We don't have the perfect revulsion of all evil like God does. Right? For sinners, there is some sin that we see as good and not evil. But God is not like man. Right? All sin is evil in the eyes of God. Where man likes to pick and choose what sin is evil and ought to experience justice, God is not partial to any sin. He hates all sin. In fact, brothers and sisters, it would be immoral for God to not react to evil with justice. Right? To not send judgment and to not send wrath would make God just like you and I. It would make God just like you and I. Now, there are many people in this world who would like to portray themselves as being morally perfect. Right? These are the people that would jump on someone in an instant the moment they are offended. They are also the people that will want to seek the harshest penalty for the slightest wrongdoing. And at the same time, they are the same people who would not want their own evils exposed and dealt with. All that does is demonstrate humanity's lack of morality, doesn't it? My brothers and sisters, there is no one even close to moral perfection on earth today. But there is one who is morally perfect in heaven. Right, this is the one, though, that the world does not know. Right, this is the one whom the world looks to distort and to alter and to change after an image they have conceived in their head. This is the one who the world tries to bring down to be like one of them who can overlook some evils from time to time. But even that idea we need to see, God despises. Right? God does not just despise all sin, which He does, but perhaps even more so, God hates man's idea that He could do wicked like man and forego His justice. He despises that idea that man thinks that God could be just like us and forego His justice for sin. I mean, think about what God says to the wicked who, who believe Him to be akin to man. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm 50. In Psalm 50, our Lord responds to this kind of thinking. Psalm 50 will begin at verse 16. Psalm 50, verse 16. But to the wicked God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. 
You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. And you thought I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. Right? These people he is speaking to are the, are the wicked that conceive that God was just like them. Because he didn't immediately address their sin, but he was, was patient to send his judgment upon him. And so they thought, well, God is like us. He can overlook sin. He can forego sin. But God says, no, I am not like man that I can ever overlook or forgo my justice. Ralph Venning points out in the book, The Sinfulness of Sin, this. He says this about our Lord. He says, as God is holy, all holy, only holy, altogether holy and always holy. So to God, sin is sinful, all sinful, only sinful, altogether sinful, and always sinful. This is what we've seen, haven't we, time and time again through our study in the book of Revelation. That God is not like us. That He who is all good, that He who is pure light, Perfectly holy, righteous, good, just. He who has no spot or blame or no stain. He who is not the author of evil, nor has ever done evil, nor forces people to commit evil, is alone the one who has rightful claim to execute His true and perfect justice in the world against sin. And in fact, this is what we see in our text today then, as we look at verses 1-11. to Here in our text we see the justification of God's justice. That is what is on display for us here in these first 11 verses. The justification of God's judgments and His justice which vindicates His wrath against rebellious man. Now the first thing that we see as we look together at verse 16 are these plagues and these bowls. And as we read about them, they ought to have a a familiar sound to them. Right? If you've been with us throughout our study of the book of Revelation, these will bring back or cause you to remember something that we have already read about in the past. And we ought to be able to identify it pretty quickly. And so our first point this morning then will be this. It will be the plagues recapitulated. Right? Point number one, the plagues recapitulated. The, the plagues restated, resummarized. Now, what I'd like everyone to do is, is a task I have. I would like everyone to, if you have your Bibles with you, keep one finger in chapter 16. And then I'd like everyone to flip over to chapter 8 and keep one finger in chapter 8 as well of the book of Revelation. So keep one finger in chapter 16 and one finger in chapter 8, so that we can see what I'm talking about when I speak about the, the plagues recapitulated. That We can all see this for ourselves. It's not just pastors saying this. So let's begin looking at the first trumpet. And we find the first trumpet in chapter 8 and verse 7. Now as I go between both of them, listen to the similarities between the trumpet judgments and the bold judgments. Now in chapter 8, verse 7, we read this. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and all of these were thrown upon the earth. Now look at the first bold judgment in chapter 16, verse 2. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl where? Upon the earth. Flip back to chapter 8. Look at verse 8 with me as we look at the second trumpet judgment. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Flip back to chapter 16. Look with me at the second bold judgment in verse 3. 
And the second angel poured out his bowl into where? The sea. It became like blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. Flip back over to uh, Revelation chapter 8. And let's look at the third trumpet judgment together in verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on the third of the rivers and the springs of the water. Now flip back over to chapter 16. Let's look at the third bold judgment. What do we see here in verse 4? The third angel poured out his bowl where? Into the rivers and the springs of the water and they became blood. Flip back over to chapter 8. Let's look at the fourth uh, trumpet that was blown. Starting in verse 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars. Flip back over to chapter 16 as we look at the fourth trump or the fourth fourth bowl judgment that starts in verse 8. The fourth angel pours out his bowl where? On the sun. Flip back over to chapter 9 this time as we look at the the fifth trumpet that is blown starting in verse 1 and 2. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of the great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Flip back over to chapter 16, verse 10, as we look at the fifth bowl that is poured out. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, And its kingdom was plunged into what? To darkness. Flip back over as we look at the the sixth trumpet judgment in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 9. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now flip back over to chapter 16 and look at verse 12. Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on where? The great river Euphrates. Now let's finish up then looking at the seventh trumpet. And for this, you've got to turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, and look at verse 15 with me. Revelation 11:15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Now drop down to verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. The ark of His covenant was seen within the temple, and there were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail. Now, turn to Revelation chapter 16 and look with me at verses 17 and 18. Revelation 16, verses 17 and 18. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and with a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done! And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. Now in light of that little study that we just did, if one thing is for certain then, it is that the burden lies on the people who say that these are, are different events to prove it. Because the likeness of these judgments are uncanny, are they not? The likeness supports our interpretation that we have been using throughout our study in the book of Revelation, which says that the book of Revelation is not a chronological book, but rather what it gives to us are these parallel visions. Parallel visions describing the same events from different perspectives and from different viewpoints. And so what we see then today in our text in Revelation 16 
is that the bowls provide further insight. Right? They give us greater detail into the judgments that God sends upon the earth because of sin. Now, one key difference, if you remember from our study of the trumpet judgments, is this, though, that under the trumpet judgments, only a third of all of those things were affected. Where now, under the bold judgments, we read that the whole is affected under each of those aspects. And so all that simply tells us is this, that sometimes when God sends judgments, they are local and that they are confined to certain areas. And sometimes when God sends judgments, they're universal or they're global. Right? Sometimes God's judgments are felt on a small scale. And now with the bold judgments, what He reveals to us is sometimes He sends judgments that are felt on a large scale. Now, as we turn our attention then to look at the bulls in particular, the first thing that we see as each bull is introduced is that an angel pours out this bull. Right? The angel pours out the bull. Now, we need to understand this is metaphorical language. Right? This is metaphorical language. A spiritual being doesn't have hands to grab a physical bull and to pour it on the earth. That's not what is being said here. This is metaphorical language. And because it's metaphorical language, we interpret Scripture consistently. And so, that which is being described then afterwards, likewise, is to be taken metaphorical. Right? The description of the events after He pours out the bowl is to be taken metaphorical by us. And yet, what I want us to always remember when I say that it is to be taken metaphorical, it doesn't mean that what is being described is not very real. Right? These, these metaphorical descriptions or visions are describing a very real reality and that should not be hard for you and I to understand. Because you and I speak like that all the time. If you've ever seen someone in a grocery store or at your place of employment get really angry at someone and they get in their face and they yell and they scream at them, what will you do? Eventually, you'll probably go home, maybe talk to your child, talk to your spouse and say, what? Today, i seen someone at the office explode. i seen someone at the office today who blew a gasket. Well, does it mean that we really believe that they exploded? Right? That they literally exploded? No, it's metaphorical language. But the fact that we use that metaphorical language doesn't negate the fact that what we are describing is something that is very real. Very real anger. Very real uh, upsetness with that person. And so we need to see that the, the very same thing is being done here in our text in the book of Revelation. The very same thing is what is being said to us here in chapter 16. Now what we also need to understand is that not only are the bold judgments tied to the trumpet judgments, but both sets of judgments are thematically related to the Exodus plagues. Right? They are thematically related to the Exodus plagues. Right? John isn't just pulling this stuff out of nowhere. Right? These, these judgments that John is receiving this vision of is modeled after those Exodus plagues. And we will see this as we go through and look at each bowl. And so for the first bowl, right, what are we told in the first bowl in verse 2? The first angel went and poured out this bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and who worshipped its image. And so what, what Egyptian plague do we think that this is covered under? The, the sixth plague right, of, of boils. Right? When God sent boils upon all of Egypt. Uh, it is actually in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verses 27 and 35 that uh, the, the teaching about these boils is expanded there. And what we are told in Deuteronomy 28 verses 37, excuse me, verses 27 and 35 is that these boils were sores. That they were sores that caused people to itch and there was no way to heal them. And so what is that describing for us? Right? It's describing that those bold judgment, those um, judgment or the plague of boils caused people suffering, didn't it? And so as we read about the, the effect of this first bowl that is poured out on the earth, what we need to see is what our text is describing is the suffering that the world suffers under this bold judgment. 
Right? The internal suffering, though, of, of torment, of anguish, being separated from God, which oftentimes leads to physical torment and suffering as well. The second plague is modeled after the first Egyptian plague that we find in the book of Exodus as we read that there that the Nile was turned to blood. And what do we see here in verse 3 of chapter 16? Right, The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like blood. Right, It became like blood. And so, what did we say about that interpretation last time we were there? We said that this likely refers to famine right, caused uh, by the destruction of the commerce of the sea. So the resources of the sea, which were once rich, will at times be severely affected, both partially and globally, right throughout the church age. Remember likewise that the sea is figurative for ungodliness. The sea in the book of Revelation is figurative for rebellion. And so this likewise refers to the suffering of the ungodly who rely upon this industry for their livelihood. Right? They will suffer economically because of it. The third bowl likewise refers to that first Egyptian plague as well. In verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of water. Well, if you remember under the first Egyptian plague, not only was the Nile affected, but all of the rivers and springs of water. And so this third bowl has the same significance as the second did. Right? Again, it results in famine and economic collapse. Uh, not just locally, but at times universally as well. And we actually see this economic interpretation later in the book of Revelation. Actually, turn over with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. As you might say to yourself, well, where are we... Where are we getting this economic interpretation that, that this is the effect that these bold judgments are having? Well, first look at verse 3. Look at verse 3 of chapter 18. There we read this, For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Right? They have trusted in the riches of that land. And as a result, drop down now to verse 10 of chapter 18. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say this, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet, uh, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood and bronze and iron and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which you're so longed has gone from you. And all of your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. Then the merchants of the wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear and torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth will be laid to waste. Now here's this. And all shipmasters and seafaring men and sailors and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and they mourned, crying, Alas, alas! For the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid to waste. And so we see, brothers and sisters, that Babylon falls. And one of the reasons for Babylon's fall is what? Because they have laid their, their trust and their hope 
right? All in their belongings and in their own resources and ingenuity. And so we see that there's this economic interpretation that, that corresponds to the, the book of Revelation itself. Let's drop down then to verse 8 as we look at the fourth bowl of chapter 16. There we read, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over plagues. Now, this is actually uh, one of the bowls that doesn't have a direct correspondence to one of the plagues in the book of Exodus. Uh, but it does have a direct correspondence to the book of Revelation. Because oftentimes, we have read about a fire heavenly throughout the book of Revelation. And what is fire representative of in the book? Judgment. And so here in this fourth bowl, this judgment is poured out on them, which may refer to the, the earthly, uh, loss of earthly security because of the, because of this economic focus again. For this we find support in Revelation chapter 7. Please turn with me there. In Revelation chapter 17. Here we have that picture of the saints standing before the throne of our Lord. And in verse 16, what do we read? They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. So this describes what? When the saints enter into glory, no longer will they hunger or thirst. They're not going to be scorched by the the heat of the sun any longer. But what do we read about here under the, the fourth bowl? This is in fact what the ungodly will receive now, won't they? As he pours out this bowl, the sun will strike them. Right? They will feel that scorching heat. And so they will be made to feel the pain of hunger and thirst as the economic woe comes upon them. The fifth bowl then, and the final bowl that we're going to look at this morning, is modeled after the ninth plague in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. And there we read that darkness fell upon the land of Egypt. Let's look at chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. And let's read this about this fifth bowl. There we read, the the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. There, the throne represents what? The throne is representative of a a kingdom. right? It's representative of of the beast's sovereign rule over his particular realm. And so what does darkness over all of this mean? That, that the kingdom or the, the realm that the beast controls or rules over has been severely affected by God. That is a part of God's judgment. But likewise, all who live in the kingdom suffer the darkness as well, don't they? Under this fifth bowl. Well, let's think back to Exodus chapter 10 and what happened with the Israelites when they were in darkness. We're told that none of them could see one another and that they stayed in their home separated the entire time. And so what we ought to see, brothers and sisters, is that the, the fifth bowl then symbolizes the anguish and the, and the terror that darkness induces inwardly in people who are separated from God. That is what the, the darkness symbolizes here. But likewise, the darkness of the fifth bowl also foreshadows what? It foreshadows the final judgment, doesn't it? Where the sinner will be cast into where? Into utter darkness forever, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now after hearing about all these judgments that God is going to pour out upon the earth, you would think it would cause repentance, don't you? But in fact, it does the very opposite, doesn't it? It causes those who are already antagonistic towards God to be even more antagonistic towards God. This leads us to our second point this morning, which is justice justified. Our second point this morning is justice justified. Sometimes I know the world likes to betray God as some angry tyrant who just likes to harm good people. But we see that is not the case at all. These people 
experience the judgment of God for their sin. Right? They are giving warning. And what is their response? In chapter 16, verse 9, they did not repent and give glory to Him. In verse 11, they did not repent of their deeds. Right? They experienced the judgment of God and they, they did not repent. And as a result, what happened? They are cursed by God. Or excuse me, as a result, they cursed God. They were told they cursed God. They did not give glory to Him. That word cursed there means blasphemed. It can be translated slandered. And so what we're being told is they, they defame the name of Almighty God. Right? They lied about His attributes and His characteristics. Right? They defamed His name. We see that this occurred with Pharaoh, don't we? And Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. And all who followed after him likewise refused to heed God's warnings. They refused to, to lay down their false gods and to worship the one true God. Right? They, they did not stop in, in the mistreatment of God's people. They did not listen to the voice of God who said, let my people go so they might worship me in the wilderness. And so what happened? God sent these judgments upon them over and over again. And we see with Pharaoh in the book of Exodus that like the sinner today, they recognize that what it is that they are enduring is because of God. Right? Pharaoh recognized those judgments were because of God. The sinners in our text today recognize that what they are suffering is because of God, which is why they, they curse Him, and yet they refuse to turn away from their wicked lifestyle. Right? They have ample warning. They do nothing with it. Right? The unbeliever knows clear and well that what they are doing, God detests, and yet they do not stop even when they know what the consequences for their sin is. Today, in our society especially, when an entertainer, a musician, an athlete commits suicide, everyone is very shocked and surprised, aren't they? They are shocked and surprised because suicide is a terrible thing, isn't it? Right? It's, suicide is self-murder. It's a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Thou shalt not kill. But I wonder why they would be so surprised right, that somebody would physically commit the act of suicide when the sinner, every day of their life, spiritually commits the act of suicide. Right? Through not heeding the warnings of God, not repenting and turning from their wicked lifestyle and believing in Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? Why be surprised? But brothers and sisters, though, we need to see this is why sin is so wicked. Right? Why sin is so wicked and, and terribly so because sin kills people. Right? Sin kills people. Right? What is sin? Sin is transgression of the law of God. And what is so sad, brothers and sisters, is that that law is good. In fact, it was that law that was given to Adam in the beginning that was to give life to Adam. But now that law that was given to Adam to give life now sentences to death. Brothers and sisters, now since the fall, that command though to, to perfectly observe God's law has not changed, but our ability to do so has. As we have come into this world as fallen men and women under the dominion of sin's power, Right? We are born criminals and we, we display that every day of our lives as we are habitual offenders against the law of God. And so how can anyone charge God with injustice then when He punishes us for our sin? And brothers and sisters, likewise, think about what our, what our sin says to God. Right? What our sin says to God is something terrible. Right? When we sin, what we say to God is we deny your sovereignty. Right? He who created us and gives us everything good in the world, we deny Your sovereignty. Who are You, God, to tell us how to live and to speak and to act? I am my own person. Right? When you sin, you likewise deny the all-sufficiency of God. When you sin against God, you tell Him there is happiness, there is joy, there is profit to be had in this world apart from God. Brothers and sisters, you need to see that when you sin, you challenge the justice of God. You dare God to do something about it. We need to see that when we sin, 
that we deny the omnipotence and the omniscience of God. Right? We say, God, I don't believe that you have the power to do what you say you will do. And I don't believe that you have perfect knowledge to know everything that I'm doing. This is why then the angel who is in charge of the waters in verses 5 and 6 then says this, And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you a holy one who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. For all of man's sins, we need to see that they justly receive the justice of God. Right? The punishment that they receive is exactly what they deserve. Right? What God doles out to the sinner is true justice. It's perfect justice. Right? Know this. God will never punish the innocent man or woman with eternal punishment. But this is what Paul tells us in Romans 3. That there is none righteous. There is none who does good. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Which ought to shut up the complaint of anyone when God afflicts them for their sin. We need to see that the Israelites, or excuse me, the Egyptians got exactly what they deserved. The Roman government got exactly what they deserved. Those who did not heed God's word, who cursed God, who mistreated his people, got exactly what they deserved. They got these plagues, they got these judgments, and ultimately they got death. And what we need to see is that the same is, is true even today for the, for the world governments today. And for societies around the world today who refuse to acknowledge God and to glorify Him alone, and for those world governments and the societies that persecute God's people, they too will suffer these just judgments of God which will ultimately lead to their death. If you remember in Matthew 22, a Pharisee who was a lawyer approaches Jesus and says this in verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus responds in verse 37 to 40, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. What we need to see is that these two commandments are what? They're a summary of the moral law, of the Ten Commandments. The first four tell us how to love God. The last six tell us how to love man. And so then see that when God breaks God, this law, when man breaks God's law, when they sin against God and they sin against neighbor, it is these judgments that the wicked will experience which in fact serve to uphold the law of God. Right? God's judgments uphold His law. Right? Law that are, laws are meaningless and useless if the sanctions for breaking them are not imposed. Which is why then the saints can say in verse 7, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are Your judgments. Brothers and sisters, we need to see God's judgments as a reflection of His, of His perfect righteousness. Right? The justice of God should not be a stain upon His character, but rather the justice of God reveals to us His moral perfection. This is what Moses highlights in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, where he says this, The rock, his, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And now, brothers and sisters, as God executes his latter day Exodus judgments in the world today, we likewise ought to affirm with Moses that very thing that the judgments of God are true and perfect justice. And that as He executes the judgments around the world, that He is demonstrating His perfect righteousness. And as He does, it ought to cause His people to honor Him and to exalt His name and to glorify Him. This leads us then to our, our third and final point, which is a brief point. And the third point is this. We will call it the, the sinner's solution. The sinner's solution. What has been described under the first five bowls are judgments that not the saints endure, 
but that the unbelievers, the ungodly, that the wicked endure. We've seen that as we read through them, but I think more so we see that in Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. Look back there with me, please. There we read, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now what we need to see here is that this is borrowed language from Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 25. There in Jeremiah verse 10.25, we read this, Pour out your wrath on the nations that know you not, and on the peoples that call not upon your name. And so here we see in our text a latter day fulfillment of Jeremiah 10.25. But as we read this, as we understand this, as we recognize that we are not the object of God's judgments, it ought not to cause us, brothers and sisters, to be proud or to be puffed up. It ought to cause us to be humbled. Right? Just because the judgments are poured out upon the wicked nations, it does not mean that wrath is something that you and I don't likewise deserve. Right? The only difference between the wicked nations and ourselves is that we have a share in Christ who has delivered us from the wrath to come. So we need to see that it's not that God punishes the sin of the wicked and doesn't punish our sin, but He has punishes the sin of the wicked and He has punished our sin in and through Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who has delivered us from that wrath. Then Christ the Lamb of God is the sacrifice who bore that wrath on our behalf. Right? He felt the just justice of God that we deserved. And Christ remains the only sacrifice today who can take away sin and who is able to help you to escape the judgments and the wrath to come. Brothers and sisters, this is why we preach Christ and Christ crucified because He alone is the sinner's solution. It is Christ and Christ alone who is able to save people from their sins. You see, brothers and sisters, wrath is what we all deserve. Every single one of us who sit here today deserve God's wrath. Every creature ever born deserves God's wrath. But let us also see that grace is what every single creature so desperately needs. Grace is what we so desperately need. And grace is what God sent into the world when He sent Christ His Son. Grace is what He has shown to us, giving us eyes to see and hearts to believe. And so grace is what? Now that we, that thing that we declare to the world, right? Grace, the grace of God's kingdom is what we commend to people. The grace of God's salvation is what we proclaim. But let us also see that it isn't enough to have Christ revealed to you, but you need Christ to be revealed in you. It is not enough to have Christ revealed to you, He needs to be revealed in you. And how does that happen? How is that accomplished? Well, it is Jesus Christ Himself who must place Himself in your souls. But it is Christ Himself who converts. No man can convert Himself. It is Christ alone who converts man. It is Christ who must be the worker. It is Christ who must reveal Himself to the sinner in the depths of their heart. But how is that done? Well, He does it through faith in His name through the hearing and the proclamation of the Gospel. And what is so sweet then about conversion that God brings through the hearing of the Gospel is this, that the one who has Christ now living in his soul no longer sees things as the world sees things. Because the believer has had his will renewed. He has had his intellect renewed. He has had his heart renewed by the Lord. And now we see God's judgments as His just justice for sin in the world. And it causes us to reflect and to say with the saints in heaven, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are Your judgments. Do you say that? Can you say that? You who once rejoiced in your evil, thinking it to be good, do you now see it as evil? Do you see that what you deserved was this just penalty that all the wicked nations will receive? And do you acknowledge and recognize that the only reason that you shall escape it is because Christ has stood in your place? If you do, and now knowing God, these judgments should no longer be a source of shame or embarrassment or confusion for the believer. But rather, as we read about these judgments, 
They ought to be the only logical conclusion for sin from a holy and just and righteous God. And in fact, what ought to surprise us is not the the judgments of God upon the wicked. What ought to surprise us every day of our life is that He shows sinners like us grace. And even when we sin against Him daily, He continues to shower us with His grace. That God whom we offended, right, what ought to surprise us is that God whom we offended sent His Son into the world to deal with our sin. To nail it to the cross. Right? Remember when you get puffed up with pride thinking yourself righteous, that it was your sin that drove the nails into His hands and into His feet. It was your sin that pierced your Savior's side. May we then stand in holy admiration and adoration and wonder as we consider the grace of God in the midst of these judgments. May we stand in holy awe and wonder seeing that God now preserves and protects His people as He carries us along through the exodus of this world to heavenly glory. Let us then never forget as we draw to a close, brothers and sisters, what it is that we deserve. Let us never forget daily what it is we deserve. And let us not forget every day to be thankful that we have the grace and mercy of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And for those who have not tasted that sweet grace yet, I want us to see God's God's great compassion that He has for sinners. I want us to see God's great compassion that He shows to His own enemies. He offers to sinners grace and mercy and forgiveness. He offers to sinners salvation and escape from His justified justice. Now and to come. But see that the only solution will always and only be found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. These are words of life. These are words that encourage. These are words that edify the body of Christ. They are also the words that warn. And so, Father, we ask this day as we have looked at these first five bowls that You would cause them to be a warning to us. That we would see, Father, what will become of the unrighteous. What will become of those who practice wickedness and who refuse to acknowledge You and Your Son and who persecute the church. May it cause us to have hearts for the ungodly and for the lost. May it cause us to be those who uh, live in a manner worthy of being children of the kingdom. May it cause us to to, to feel the need to, to share and witness to the faith that we have in Christ as we meet with these people in the world. Father, we pray that You would sanctify us this day by Your Word. That, Lord, You would help us to, to see our need for Christ every day. Let us be reminded of the penalty that we all deserve and let us rejoice in the grace that we have been given in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we come before You asking all these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.